We begin in prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We pray with this statement. Truth content is best assimilated in prayer. Lord Jesus, we believe that truth is best assimilated in prayer, in communion with you, and not in isolation, non, not in non-relational cerebral activity. Lord Jesus, deliver us from all forms of isolation. Lord, give us the courage to go deeper with you. Give us the courage to be able to ask, to ask so that you can reveal rather than us psychoanalyzing or trying to figure things out. Lord, give us the courage to receive the truth that you have to reveal with you to confront our pain, to confront our fear with you. Grant us a heroic heart. We ask this through the intercession of the Holy Mother of God. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So we'll dive right into this. Let's begin with a question. How does God see me? How does God view me? Through what lens? Does God view me as a problem to be fixed, or rather, a person to be loved? Now, we know the answer to this, but the answer that I know, do I live from that place? Is it evidenced in my attitude and in my behavior? So another way of framing that same question does God view me through the lens of my brokenness or through the lens of my wholeness? What do we mean by that? So many of us, perhaps the super vast, vast majority of us, tend to view ourselves in our brokenness, meaning all the ways that I fall short. So real simple, way of pondering this is consider your approach to an examination of conscience or your attitude when you approach our Lord in the sacrament of reconciliation. Is that a disheartening experience? Are we nitpicking all the ways that I fall short of the mark? Or do I view myself, does God view me through my wholeness? He sees the good in me. It's a totally different approach. Again, we know, we know how God views us. The deeper question to ask is, my perception of God, 
how I view God. Now, this is all pivotal. How I view God influences how I think God views me. So, for instance, let's take an example. Perception of God is how I, how I see God, how I view him. What if I believe that God is a slave driver? Now, let's qualify this. None of us is actually going to say, oh yeah, I think God is a slave driver because we know that's not the truth. But, based on my behavior and my attitude, many of us, many of us have that as a perception of God. It's evidenced by our behavior. You look at the fruits. So if someone were honest, if they look at their behavior and their attitude, they have to say, mm, wow, okay, apparently I really believe that God is a slave driver. So if that's my perception of God, God as a slave driver, how am I going to view myself or how am I going to think that God views me? Because my perception, how I see God, will influence also how I think God views me. Because if I believe that God is a slave driver, then I'm also going to believe that God sees me as a slave. There's this sequence, again, uh, like any priest that spends a few thousand hours praying with penitents in the confessional, and in spiritual direction, I see this time and time again, and so I'm utterly convicted of this, how everything hinges on one's perception of God. Our capacity to receive God's love, and if we've been following this series, is everything, because the love of God is everything, but at a subjective level, receiving the love of God is the key to accessing that incredible love of God. And so what limits the love of God is my re reception and my receptivity and often my, my woundedness, the different ways I have distortions of how I see him, and I'm not actually living in reality due to sin or past experiences, past traumatic experiences, or lies. The enemy's lies is very, very traumatizing. So this sequence of the perception of God, which influences what I call our moral attitude, we need to define our terms, I don't think this is a term I've ever seen. It's something I've had to kind of coin it. Moral attitude is really simple. It's my motivation for my actions. Why I act the way I do. The why. And in broad strokes, we can basically think of only two motives. A fear-based motive. So if we know anything about any type of ethics, we can think of obligation-centered ethics or sin avoidance ethics, the type of thing, I need to do this or else I'm going to hell. I need to go to Sunday Mass or I'm going to go to hell. So it's operating out of a place of fear, fear-based motive, and therefore not really free. It's slavish fear. So my motive can be, in broad strokes, either a fear-based motive or a love-based motive. And if it's a love-based motive, then we're operating in freedom. And the Lord always wants us to operate in freedom. And then our behavior 
simply our actions or to qualify it, I simply put moral behavior. So those actions which have moral significance, right? So sleeping in itself, it, it doesn't have like a moral significance. Let's consider some perceptions of God that people have. This isn't an exhaustive list, but some examples. Based on people's behavior and their attitudes, there are those who perceive God as an absentee father. God is like an absentee father or a negligent father. And if I view God in this way as an absentee father or a negligent father, then that's going to influence how I relate with him and my attitude and my behavior. It would be understandable for me to be afraid of being abandoned by God because if I know him to be negligent, that's what I'm going to be afraid of. Or the desire to want to be seen because I'm not seen by this father who's not paying attention to me and he's negligent and he's absentee. So everything hinges on our perception of God. This is why it's so key. This is why we need to allow Jesus to heal all the distortions that we have. Because like in philosophy, first principles, if you get them wrong over time with the, the various logical deductions that you make, you're going to veer in a really bad direction. So the key is receiving, living in reality, viewing God the way he views himself, living in the truth. What's another perception that one can have? A God who is disappointed in me. And I know this is one that resonates with me for most of my life. So a uh, a God who's disappointed in me. And therefore, this type of person will have the fear of disappointing God. Or it would make sense, someone being a people pleaser, right? You don't want to disappoint people. And so this is something that's pretty well known. Or someone who believes that God is just always disappointed in me no matter what I do and therefore believing the lie that I'm just not enough, no matter what I do. There's no, and I'm, I keep trying to prove that I'm worthy of his love, but nothing I do really seems to work. Another perception would be, well, we kind of mentioned this, um, a slave driver type God. Now, if I view God as a slave driver, I'm going to be pretty resentful, right? There's not going to be a love relationship there. You think about the slave drivers mentioned in Exodus when the Israelites are in bondage and there are those taskmasters appointed over them and whipping them, right? Just that imagery. There's a resentment. Or if I think about that, what's the reciprocity? of If I truly believe that God is a slave driver, then I'm going to view myself as a slavish worker. 
that that's all I'm good for. And we see how people can operate it through that belief. Or a God who is a calculating judge, or like a line judge, like I, right in like football, when there's, there's the actual the line judge, and they're, they've, they've actually got to measure centimeters, right? Many of us, our behavior and our attitude seems to reveal that I view God as a line judge. Bless me, Father, for I've sinned. It has been three weeks since my last confession. Uh, I was impatient 37 times. My concern of something like that, first of all, number and kind is only for serious sins. When someone's confessing, okay, what does that reveal about my perception of God? That's my concern. My real concern is, does this person view God as a calculating judge? And therefore, they're going to be operating out of a place of enslavement and fear and not out of love and not out of freedom. <clears throat> so if I view God as a, a calculating judge, so whatever I do, I'm going to be hesitant and fearful. I'm going to fear being punished for certain things. And if I'm fearful of being punished for certain things, it's not going to be surprising for someone to have the temptation to kind of go into hiding and to run away from God. I don't want God to know certain things because he's just someone who punishes me all the time. He's just dealing out punishment all the time. And so I'm not going to be transparent. Why? I'm going to be punished. This is why our perception of God is so pivotal. Or, I believe the best analogy that I can come up with of the authenticity or a, a metaphor for God and a perception of who he is, is God as a loving parent who also happens to be your physician. So someone who you can trust, if I view God as a loving parent and I have an experience of a loving parent who also happens to be a physician, I'm going to have the freedom to truly love. I'm going to be free from fear. I'm going to be motivated by love and not by fear. I'm going to have the freedom to trust because I know this parent is good has my best interest in mind. I'll be free from all suspicion and fear. And all of the desire to want to be transparent and to go towards this loving parent because they're a physician. They can actually help. They can heal me. Now, the difficulty with regard to perception of God is we tend to be such a cerebral culture and we're like, oh yeah, I know God. Yeah, God is love. We hear that enough times. No one's actually going to admit, hey, you know what? I think God's a slave driver. Nobody's going to admit that. This is why it's so problematic because there's this enormous gap between what I know, but my behavior and my attitude does not reflect that at all. 
So this is why, if we think of this sequence, perception of God, moral attitude, and moral behavior, think of it on the flip side. Ask Jesus to show your behavior, X behavior. And what does that reveal, Jesus, about my attitude? Is that coming out of a place of fear? Or freedom and love? And what does that attitude reveal about how I actually see you, God? So going deeper, it takes courage to do that because we often fear what we're going to find out. This is why as a culture, we're, we seem to be so effective at avoiding things and running away. But there's a huge payoff to being able to face truth and to face pain and face our fears. So that's the first step. The courage to going deeper rather than simply staying surface level and shallow. And so we can pray. We can say, make this prayer. Jesus, help me to identify not just the sin that I confess or this awareness of this behavior, but Jesus, reveal to me the roots. And the key is asking and asking him to reveal. Because what's the alternative to doing that? Isolation, figuring things out. If you've been following this, Hopefully, I'm like a broken record here. Ain't nobody want isolation. One thing to consider is that sin, our sin, is often, or any type of behavior, let's put it that way, sinful behavior is often motivated by the desire to avoid pain. So if we want to go deeper, it's not just don't simply name the sin, but there's always a motivation behind it. So what am I seeking there? Jesus, reveal to me what's going on in my heart. What, what am I desiring there? What's the good that I'm seeking in a disordered fashion? So we want to go deeper. And if I don't know the roots of that, I need to ask Jesus. Because if I stay surface level, there's, my healing is only going to be surface level. But if I have the courage to go deep, Jesus can heal me at the roots. So common forms of pain, uh, the acronym BLAST with a double A, boredom, loneliness, anger, anxiety, sadness, tiredness, I cannot emphasize this enough. This isn't an exhaustive list, but this, these really are the most common forms of pain for really any type of sin. Very often, sin is a cry seeking relief from some form of pain. So if we can have the awareness and asking Jesus, Jesus, what's going on in my heart? What am I seeking there? Jesus, is there some form of pain that I'm seeking to avoid? Those who live with high EQ, emotional intelligence and awareness and affective maturity, they can recognize this. And so they, they're in a position to live in greater freedom because they know, oh, I know that I'm more susceptible to certain types of sin 
when I'm tired or when I'm bored. So I need to be particularly vigilant and I need to, Jesus, right now, I'm susceptible and I know it, so I need you to protect me and be with me and help me to pray in this and be with me in this experience of pain. And Jesus, give me the courage to not run away from the pain and self-medicate or self-soothe, but Jesus, be with me right here. The key is resolving, resolving to never run away from pain. Because, let's face it, where has running away from pain ever gotten us? Has it ever paid off? Have we ever been like, wow, I'm so glad I did that. That's totally paid off. Never said no one. The key, as we said, asking Jesus to help you identify the pain you're attempting to alleviate rather than figuring it out, living inside our own head. So renounce isolation, lean into. So the only way to communion is asking Jesus and Jesus, you reveal it. Jesus, you know everything. So that's the most intelligent thing to do. And Jesus, I want to be in communion. So I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask you because you told me, you commanded us to ask. And you said, apart from you, we can't do anything. But with you, we can do all things. So think of the analogy of pulling weeds. We, we, know, we know this. Nobody simply pulls weeds above surface, above the surface. That's not gonna do anything, right? They're just gonna keep coming back. So what's the key? We need to address the roots. If we want to get something out, so asking Jesus, what is the root? And if we can address the root and the origin of it, then healing at its origin and at its root. Let's take an example. Let's just say I become aware of, oh, okay, I am wasting too much time on my phone, looking at, watching, fill in the blank, news, social media, videos, shows, etc. And let's say that I become aware of when I'm tired. I'm susceptible to this when I'm tired. So that's the behavior. We've identified that. I can ask, Jesus, is there a form of pain boredom, loneliness, anger, anxiety, sadness, tiredness, that I'm seeking to alleviate by spending time on my phone. So I just mentioned here, let's say someone discovers, oh, it's because it's an attempt to alleviate the form of pain, pain in the form of tiredness. But what if someone says it's in response to boredom and therefore what they're seeking is we're looking for some sort of excitement or being entertained in that moment, some sort of reprieve. Now, Jesus' healing remedy in that sense will be very different for someone if it's in the circumstances of boredom rather than someone is having recourse to that behavior because of loneliness, right? The remedy is going to look different. This is why if we understand the roots and ask Jesus to reveal that, we're going to get more data of what's actually going on in my heart. So this is why sin is always surface level. So I always tell people that, you know, our sin doesn't tell us any, anything. You know, we can commit the same type of sin and it could have seven different motives or different things we're seeking. It could be the exact same sin, but if we just stay at surface level, we're thinking the same things going on, but it could be completely different things going on. At one time, I could be having recourse to that because I'm bored, I'm lonely, angry, I have anxiety, I'm sad, I'm tired. 
So what's telling is what's actually going on underneath. Next step, keep going deeper into this, asking Jesus, Jesus, reveal the root and address the roots. Identify the lie, not by yourself, but by asking Jesus. Jesus, what is the lie that I'm believing? And what's the truth instead that you are presenting that you want me to believe? So perhaps it's, I, Jesus reveals to me that when I'm bored, the lie that I'm believing is that spending an inordinate amount of time looking at social media, for example, on my phone will actually cure me of my boredom. We actually need to vocalize this, articulate this. When we speak things out loud, we can recognize it more for, oh, okay, yeah, that, that's a lie, but that's actually what I am believing based on my behavior and my attitude. It's so important to be able to name our experience. And I can ask, is that true? Or is that a lie? And if I recognize it's a lie, and I want to reject it, then I move on to, okay, Jesus, I want to reject that lie in your holy name, and I want to receive the truth because nature abhors a vacuum. So it's not enough just to reject the lie because you know what the enemy is going to keep attacking us with? The same type of lies. But if the Holy Spirit fills us and gives us the truth, there's no vacancy for the enemy's attacks and his lies that he wants to barrage us with. So I can pray, Jesus, I renounce the lie that spending an inordinate amount of time looking at social media on my phone will actually cure me of my boredom. That's ludicrous. That's actually never been verified. So that's a lie, and I reject it. I re renounce this lie, Jesus, right now. And Jesus, I embrace the truth that when I'm bored, ultimately, you're the only one who can minister to me in that place of what I'm actually seeking. Jesus, you're the only one I need. That's an example of how we can receive that truth. And I could say, and Jesus, I invite you into the pain of when I'm bored. And Jesus, I resolve never to run away from this pain of boredom by soothing mechanisms. So this isn't a one-time thing. Because, as we've seen, many of us often, there's a huge gap in what I know theoretically and practically how I live my life out. So this lie, even though I can recognize it as a lie, the lie may be reinforced thousands, perhaps tens of thousands of times throughout my lifetime because of pattern behavior <clears throat> and my attitude. And so it's asking Jesus to reveal the sequence, the behavior, the attitude, the lies, the lies that I need to renounce, the truth in that place that you want to substitute. And if, I'm in, if I've been traumatized by lies many times, then I need to allow the Lord to heal me in that place, and he needs to reinforce that truth. We need to ask the Lord to, quote-unquote, bombard us with his truth. 
Another way in which we can ask Jesus to reveal the roots is the courage to lean into fears. I don't know if you've heard this expression before. Lean into your fears, lead with your scars. It takes courage to be vulnerable, right? To confront your fears, to acknowledge them, not to avoid them and run away from them. And by, by running away from them, we're, we're enslaved because we're allowing our fears to dictate our actions and to lead with our scars in being vulnerable and transparent, appropriate disclosure. So like I've mentioned, as a culture, we're afraid of being afraid. We fear fears. If we're honest, so many of us, as a culture, we simply don't want to live in reality. It's too painful for us. Boredom, loneliness, anger, anxiety, sadness, tiredness. And we're not even aware that I'm bored, lonely, angry, anxious, sad, tired. So we tend to run away, we tend to hide, we give into, we, we escape. There are avoidance behaviors, procrastination is a symptom of this. These are just all too familiar to us. And we tend not to name our fears because we're afraid that by acknowledging fears, I'll actually have to confront them. And we don't want to have to deal with that type of pain. But, like I mentioned, where has running away from reality, when has that ever paid off for us? But we believe this lie as a culture that running away from pain is the only way to survive and not die. And so we keep doing it. Now, I don't know anyone who would actually be able to articulate that but if they did, maybe it would help. It would be a first step in the healing process. So we see, obviously, that doesn't work, running away. It just perpetuates, it actually exacerbates the problem, it makes things worse. It doesn't heal things at its root. So what's the solution? There is a solution. The solution is facing the pain with Jesus. The key is with Jesus. Because if someone says facing the pain, well, easier said than done. There's a whole reason why I'm not facing the pain. It's too painful. That's why I'm running away from it. But we can face the pain with Jesus. Everything with Jesus is possible. The key is communion and not isolation. So think of leaning into our fears as peeling layers off of an onion before. If you've ever peeled layers off of an onion, or I don't know of anything else you know that has layers. But think of that analogy. What happens? We want to go deeper and deeper and deeper. We don't want to simply stay at surface level. So I'll give you an example. I think illustrating is helpful because I know when I heard Dr. Bob Shooks or Sister Miriam James Heidlin, one of my heroes, 
when they were able to illustrate these principles, which I was quite aware of, it clicked for me and it made sense and it allowed me to understand certain things. Whereas before, if someone just simply presents the principle, it just remained abstract. I wasn't able to understand the concrete application of what that truth looks like in my life. So for the sake of, in the hopes that it might be helpful, illustrations are, are helpful. So in 2018, uh, this was the year I always do my eight-day spiritual exercises, and this was after my 30-day retreat in 2017 to so 2018. This is my first annual spiritual exercises, eight-day after the 30-day. So in 2018, the Lord placed on my heart to ask him this question, Jesus, reveal to me my deepest fear. And I had to, I'm grateful that he even gave me the courage to ask that question. And I had confidence because I said, Jesus, I don't want to be afraid anymore. Jesus, I know with you, I can experience freedom and healing. So reveal what is it that I'm most afraid of. And Jesus, I'm not afraid of finding out what you have to reveal to me. And I was motivated also because fears are good in as much as they reveal what I value. And so I know this. And so I thought, well, logically, in the same vein, my deepest fear, in theory, will reveal what I value most. So I can say I love God, but does that really check out, is that really verified and confirmed in my attitude and in my behavior? So I wanted to ask. And fears, we don't really choose our fears, right? They're kind of given to us. It's, it's so visceral to us. So it's a really good litmus test of what I practically, what I viscerally, instinctively value. So I set off. I said, okay, Lord, I'm ready for it. I know you're going to give me the grace. Whatever you have to reveal in this place, I'm not even afraid. Reveal to me what my deepest fear is. So just to give you a background, the Lord revealed, okay, I asked Jesus, and Jesus revealed the fear of tiredness. And the background of this is, I'm not talking about like a dislike or finding tiredness unpleasant. I think most, most of us would find tiredness unpleasant or they don't like it. But I mean an actual fear of tiredness. So for ever since I was a child, I've been very sickly, had various health issues that's definitely affected my quality of life, what I can do, when I can do it, how I can do it. And in my adult life, I've had various health issues, energy issues, weakness, tiredness, exhaustion. So this is kind of like the background setting. It's something that's very, very visceral. It's a daily experience. So I knew exactly what the Lord was referring to. Yes, fear of tiredness. So think about the analogy of peeling layers. So Jesus what about the tiredness am I afraid of? I'm not afraid of finding out what you reveal. Jesus, is it 
Is it the actual physical pain? Is that what I'm afraid of with regard to the tiredness or exhaustion? And the Lord revealed to me, no, that's, that's not it. And I was like, okay, that makes sense because, you know, I've been in an endurance athlete for since high school and I'm accustomed to crossing certain thresholds of pain regularly in competitive training. So I was like, yeah, that, that doesn't make sense. So there's, there's something deeper here. It's not the physical pain. So Jesus, what's going on here? What, am I, what about the tiredness or exhaustion am I afraid of? So Jesus peeling a layer for me and then he reveals the ability to minister and serve the people of God. That's what I'm afraid of within the tiredness. Okay? And so I asked Jesus, okay, Jesus, so the fear of not being able to minister and serve others, the people of God, Jesus, I'm, I'm not afraid of finding out what you reveal here. Am I afraid of that because uh, I'm codependent? Is this actually really selfish? I have a need to be needed? Jesus, I'm not afraid of finding out what you have to reveal. And Jesus, peeling it back, he says, no, that's, that's not it. That's, you don't, you're not codependent. You have good, healthy boundaries. So Jesus, what is it about not being able to serve God's people? What is it that I'm afraid of? And the Lord revealed to me, peeling another layer, it's the fear of not being able to do God's will. Okay. Praying with that, Jesus, what's going on there? I'm not afraid of what you have to reveal here. Jesus, the fear of not being able to do God, your will, is that operating out of a place of slavish fear, of like an obligation-centered ethics, that if I don't do certain things, then I'm going to fear of being punished. Is that what's happening, Jesus? I'm not afraid of what you have to reveal. And Jesus revealed, no, that's, that's not what's going on. And he revealed that ultimately it came down to my desire to really want to love God. My desire to really want to be able to respond to God's love. And so I was able to hit and that was it. That was the actual thing. We actually got to the very, very roots. So the tiredness that the Lord revealed, I was able to loop back was just very much surface level. But what I'm really afraid of within the tiredness is interpreting that if I'm tired, I won't have the ability to be able to love God because that's what I value most. And this is so important to me, the Lord revealed, because responding and reciprocating to the overwhelming love that I've experienced of a love I've encountered so deeply in my life. So two beautiful things in this was it was a real pleasant surprise because the Lord valued that that was my greatest desire and what I valued most. Like, and so now I'm no longer afraid of the tiredness because I, the Lord uncovered this lie, the lie that if I'm tired, that I actually won't be able to respond in love. But there's no circumstance where the Lord won't give me that ability. And in fact, it's been such a healing exercise because the Lord having brought me through layers and layers and layers and 
revealing this root and this origin, I'm tired pretty much all the time, kind of like a, I feel like a parent of like eight young children, right, always tired. But instead of that being a place of pain and heaviness and burden, it's a beautiful joy because the Lord was able to reveal spontaneously what that revealed about what I value most. And that none of that is an impediment in being able to do the will of the Lord. And I'm not afraid of being afraid. I'm not afraid of being tired. And for those who have known me, I've lived like this ever since I was a child because I've always, I've always been sickly. So being liberated from this fear or this heaviness, it's just indescribable, the, the freedom. So I illustrate this as an example of to incentivize us, to give us the courage of the, the depths of freedom. And this is for everyone. This is, the Lord wants even so much more for you than what he has done for me. But this is just an example. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it dawned upon man what God has in store for those who love him. This, these are the depths of freedom that the Lord wants to reveal. And this is why, after having encountered that, I, I'd already resolved that I will not ever run away from pain. Now, of course, I, I do that instinctively, but when I'm aware of a certain form of pain and when I become aware of it, I will not, I will not run away. I will be with Jesus and I know how to put my hand to the fire and I can do it with Jesus. I'm not afraid of pain. But this experience of leaning into fears has given me this huge space to be able to dive forward and to trust in the Lord. I'm still obviously a huge work in progress, but the depths of freedom that the Lord offers to us, it's incredible. So in short, what's the huge upside to having, if we choose to confront our fears, because we're only going to be willing to do something really, really difficult if we know that there's an even greater upside. And that greater upside is freedom from fear. And I can attest, this is what Jesus wants. Hashtag totally worth it. <laughs> and also Jesus revealing what you value most. If you ask Jesus to reveal what you're afraid of, it will re reveal what, what you value. If you ask Jesus, Jesus, what am I most afraid of? He will reveal to you what's most valuable to your hearts. And that was a beautiful surprise because to know that. Another area where we can ask Jesus to help us to go deeper, Jesus reveal the roots, are identifying deadly wounds, identifying the lies, which we kind of talked about, identifying also unholy vows. And I've attached there on the handout on one of the pages, renouncing lies and announcing truths. 
it is done so well. It is so, so key, so important. That has been so instrumental in an uncovering um, 30-year type graces of healing for me and in the lives of so many others I minister to. So in, in sequencing, everything really depends on beliefs. The enemy knows this, and this is why he strikes hard with feeding us lies. Because if we can take the bait in believing lies, then he's going to influence our way of thinking, our way of acting, everything. Everything begins with a thought or a belief. And so instead of lies, the Lord wants us to believe truths. So it's so important to always believe those truths that the Lord has revealed to us. The truth will set us free, as Jesus says. So with regard to the seven deadly wounds, the root of any of those is the lie within the deadly wound. So I can give you an example, again, just another illustration, because I know this was helpful for me when I heard Dr. Bob Shooks, and I was just able to make connections, which I otherwise wouldn't have, even though I was quite familiar with all of these principles for years. But it was only when I was hearing an illustration that I got a sense of, oh, that's what healing can look like, and that's what renunciation looks like. So in my own journey, the Lord was able to reveal a very specific episode, which I was familiar with, but he was able to reveal it in a very specific way in terms of inner healing. So he brought me back to when I was six years old in California in first grade. We're in the classroom setting and we're all taking turns reading out loud. And basically when it was my turn, I didn't know how to read. So it's not that I was humiliated, no one teased me or there was nothing of the like. But that experience was how the Lord revealed how the enemy attacked me and struck hard and attacked me as a six-year-old. And he sowed all of these lies, which inflicted these huge wounds, which really traumatized me for the next 30 years of my life. But the good news is that the Lord was able to bring me to this place at its origin, heal me at its origin as a six-year-old, and I was able to experience this unfathomable type freedom and healing. So the Lord revealed to me at that moment when I didn't know how to read, someone might think, oh, that's, that's innocent, but the wound that I experienced, three wounds, abandonment, and so the lie within abandonment was the enemy convincing me that I'm all alone in this experience. No one is with me. God's not with me. I'm unprotected. A very insecure place, right? Unprotected. The Lord wants security for us, and the enemy wants to make us insecure. The second wound was shame, that not knowing how to read, I believe the lie that that was my fault. Now, when the Lord revealed this to me, this was 
there was like a light bulb eureka type moments because this had inflicted so much trauma in my life because of this one root episode my entire life i've always blamed myself for everything that goes wrong i tend to be the type of person who's overly responsible so anything that it goes wrong i just immediately presume it's my fault why did i presume that well if i believe that i'm all alone who else is there to blame it's pretty clear when problems are are present so no one else to blame well it's my fault always i'm so accustomed to doing that and the lord revealed this insidious lie of attacking a six-year-old child in that way the third wound for me personally was and as a result if it's my fault that i'm not good enough i'm not lovable and really anytime anyone experiences this lie believes this lie it's the place of utmost insecurity nobody can live with this type of conviction or belief we need to know that we are good and that we are lovable and we are worthy and so at a very insecure place so if you're unstable and insecure how are you going to find security so my attempt not unknowingly as a six-year-old instinctively was well no one's going to take care of me. I'm all alone. I unknowingly, unconsciously, as a six-year-old, made this unholy vow. An unholy vow is a self-made promise, not made in fear or in resentment. So mine was made out of fear because I'm seeking security. And my attempt to seek security was, I will take care of myself. That's the vow I made to myself. And it was enslaving because that's isolation. Maybe this is a six-year-old unknowingly. It wasn't done maliciously. I'm barely of the age of reason, if, if so. But that was the Lord revealing all of this and therefore showing the roots of what needs to be addressed and healed. Also, he revealed certain behaviors that have resulted all across from six years old all the way to 36 of being hurried and being my own slave driver, like relentless slave driver. The type of thing where if I, I would never treat anyone else like this, but because it's me, it's okay, I can do this. Like if I ever treated anyone like this, I'd be like taken into custody, right, for abuse. But because it's me, it's okay. You can drive yourself into the ground you're not, you're not enough. You need to prove your worthiness. You need to work. So it's kind of this belief of, if you recall in Exodus, when the Israelites are enslaved, Pharaoh at one point, he, takes, he, does, he no longer provides straw for them, but he says, more brick. So it's kind of like this underlying attitude I wasn't even aware of. Less straw, more brick relentless slave driving needing to prove that i'm unworthy but all of what's at the origin of all of this are these lies that i'm all alone it's my fault if something goes wrong it's my fault and i'm not good enough i'm not lovable and therefore i need to prove through relentless slave driving that's kind of how i sought to do that so 
in a nutshell, the healing that the Lord was all, he, I didn't have to figure anything out because this is my, my uh, self-reliance, right? I'm going to take care of myself. It's so rooted in me. So my tendency would be to want to do everything. And so the Lord was so good and merciful. I didn't have to do anything. It was, I just needed to receive. He just showed me how to pray. So this is what you're going to do. Now you need to renounce these lies in my holy name. So Jesus, I renounce the lie that I am all alone in this experience as a six-year-old, already praying as a six-year-old within an imaginative prayer experience. And Jesus, I renounce the lie that whatever goes wrong is my fault. And Jesus, I renounce the lie that I'm not good enough. And it's placed the truth I need to receive, allow the Lord to reinforce me and heal me in those truths. Jesus, in your holy name, I believe that you are always with me, that I am not alone. You are always with me. And Jesus, I receive the truth that not everything that goes wrong is my fault. And Jesus, your love makes me more than good enough. Your love alone, nothing I can do. So liberating me from self-reliance, slavish self-reliance. So I was able to also renounce that unholy vow that I had made. I didn't, I just unknowingly made it, right? This, out of a place of fear, I'm going to take care of myself. So I renounce that lie. Jesus, I renounce that unholy vow that I unknowingly made in fear that I'm going to take care of myself. In Jesus, I receive your sovereignty that you are going to take care of me. And so for someone who is overly responsible and self-reliant, hearing that the Lord himself will take care of me is, it means everything to me in the deepest places of healing and renouncing and, and repenting for having done that unknowingly or any ways that knowingly I have done that. So receiving this place of security, secure in his love, So I've provided different resources. The renouncing of lies and announcing truth handouts, reflect, some reflection questions, also various resources. As we conclude this series, I wanted to offer those resources for those who want to go deeper. Truth content is best assimilated in prayer. I'm going to invite us to take these uh, last few minutes just in prayer, asking the Lord to reinforce any truths that he wants to particularly speak to us, and then we'll conclude in prayer.